The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 8. And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross And follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This is God's word. It is true. Well, I knew it was coming. That point as a parent, when your kids know more than you. He asked me with his math book open, Dad, does this answer look right? And I stared at the combination of fractions and integers and variables and symbols blankly. And I reluctantly said, after almost 30 years distance from my last calculus class, I have no idea. (laughs) Without me spending time reviewing the fundamentals of math, I couldn't help him with what appeared to be much more complicated. With any learning, right, the fundamentals are key, whether it's in sports or it's in music or it's in math. You have to know how to add before you can subtract. You have to know how to subtract before you can multiply. And you certainly have to know how to do all three before you can do something like long division. The first seven chapters of the Gospel of Mark are the fundamentals of following Jesus Christ. In the first verse of today's passage in Mark, Jesus begins a new lesson in the disciples' life of walking alongside their teacher. You see it in verse 31, at the beginning of this passage. He began to teach them. Teach them what? Haven't they been learning up until this point? It's here that Jesus is beginning to teach them the harder concept of what I'll call long division discipleship. Because up until this point, the disciples have learned the easier fundamentals of following Jesus. Fundamentals that started with chapter 1 of Mark. A voice from John the Baptist says, prepare the way, the kingdom is coming. 
And then a voice from heaven says, this is my son. Jesus is the way. And then the miracles throughout the gospels have taught the disciples. Wow, Jesus has authority to do things no mere man has been able to do. He's casting out demons. He's healing every sickness. He's teaching as if he wrote the book. He's shutting down the sky from storming. He is walking on the water without sinking. He is feeding a stadium of starving people with just scraps of bread. Huh. There's the fundamentals. The disciples have had their educated eyes opened by God to believing with all of these fundamentals that fact plus fact plus fact plus fact equals this solution. Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. The long-awaited conquering king. They couldn't be more excited in the first eight chapters of Mark. They have been hand-picked to serve in the king's court. Ever been handpicked for something that would have this kind of expectation surrounding it? Probably not. Maybe you've been handpicked for an honors group or a select team or a prestigious college or company. And when you have been picked by something like that, the sky's the limit. They're saying, you are the Christ and I get to follow you. It was not until the disciples could arrive at that conclusion that Jesus knew we're ready to open the next chapter. We're ready to do some long division. The son of man, a term given to represent God's kingly conqueror, The Son of Man who was promised in the Old Testament. The Son of Man, verse 31, must suffer many things. Son of Man must be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. The Son of Man must be killed. And the Son of Man, after three days, rise again. He doesn't open this chapter of their manual with wild parable illustrations in colorful language. No, verse 32 says he speaks to them plainly, directly, boldly. The Christ is going to get hurt. He's going to get hit. He's going to get killed. And then he's going to get up. That's what he says. They did not see that coming. Long division discipleship was blowing their mind. Look at Peter's reaction in verse 32. He takes Jesus aside and he rebukes the Son of Man. The same word Mark used earlier to describe the rebuking of a demon, casting out a demon. Peter thinks Jesus has flipped his lid. Why? Why does Peter believe this? Because any man would believe the Christ was coming to conquer like any of the world leaders have conquered before him. How? How does a world leader conquer? By first inflating himself. Next, promoting himself at the cost of others. So that in the end, that conqueror is the one standing on the top, victorious. This is how the Christ had to conquer for himself a kingdom, right? Friends, this is the world's operating procedure on conquering. It's yours. It's mine. Self-inflation, self-promotion, and self-standing. Just break those down real quick. Self-inflation. 
I want to ask you a hard question. Who do you think you're better than in this room? What do you slip into a conversation that makes you appear better than who you are? That's inflation of self. The world is struggling with an inflation problem right now, right? But it's not what's affecting our pocketbook. It's the pride affecting our hearts. So Jesus says, deny yourself. Get smaller, not bigger. Self-promotion. That's increasing ourselves by stepping on the backs of others. Honestly, the person you think you're better than in this room, why are you better than them? What's your step above them? Is it your education? Is it your knowledge? Your theology, your income, your friend group. There's any number of steps we take on the backs of others to raise ourselves up. And then self-standing. Like the game of King of the Hill, we try whatever we can to stay on top. We use all of our energies not to fall from the high perch that we've created for ourselves. We throw off others by throwing them under the bus. It's the way of politics. It's the way of the playground. So when Jesus says to Peter in verse 33, get behind me, Satan. He's using the same words he used in his temptation in the wilderness. As Satan was offering him all these things of the world, he says, get behind me. I don't want that. Take that way of thinking you've learned from this ruler of this world and get it out of here. The kingdom of God does not play by those rules. The way of love does not operate by those Satan-started and man-supported standards. No, get it out of here. The kingdom rule, long division discipleship is instead this. If you are going to profess me as the Christ, you must follow me to the cross. If you are going to profess Jesus as the Christ, you must follow him to the cross. Three ways this morning I want to look at how we're called to follow his lead. First, I'm using math terms. I'm sorry. It's long division discipleship. First, the subtraction of self. Second, the addition of a cross. And third, the multiplying of a kingdom. First, we're called to follow him in the subtraction of self. What does subtraction of self look like? Look at how Jesus describes it. He says, the son of man must suffer many things. In order to bring about a kingdom, he must suffer. It's not optional. Must suffer. The people of Israel had no category for the Messiah to suffer. Like we saw in Isaiah, there is a suffering servant, but no one connected that to the Messiah or the Christ. And the word must in there should startle us because it implies God's will. What could God intend from suffering? Hebrews 5, 8, friends, tells us. Listen to this about Jesus. Although he was a son, son of God, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus, as the Son of Man, had to actually learn something. (laughs) Learn how to perfectly follow his Father like any other man didn't or couldn't. 
Not my will, but yours be done was the theme of Jesus's perfect life. And it came through suffering. Friends, it's easy to follow God when things are going well. How is it when things get hard and messy? Suffering must come to learn obedience. He also says that he will be rejected. Who will Jesus be rejected by? You'd think he'd be rejected by the world's worst, right? The murderers, the adulterers, the sinners. You'd think he'd be rejected by the worst. But instead, he's rejected by the cream of the religious crop. The best. One commentator writes, The suffering of the Son of Man comes at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. Because these people were the first to be ashamed of him and his words. As verse 38 mentions. Why were the cream of the crop religious people ashamed of him? Why they detached themselves from him? Why they want to have nothing to do with him? Why? Because his subtraction of self appeared so pathetic and so ugly to them in their worldly view of perfect power. Ugh. Die on a cross? Blech. We have nothing to do with that. Ashamed of that message that you bring, Jesus. I saw this dynamic on my son's basketball team. It's young basketball team, so they're, they're all young and learning how to play. But there's two centers that play on the team. Okay? And there's one center that when he has the ball, he brings the ball down the court. And you know, you just know, he's going to drive it straight down the center and attempt to make a layup. He's driven. You can see it in his eyes when he's got the ball. Then there's this other center. What he typically does is he stops short of the three-point line and starts passing the ball off. And when I asked my son after one of the games, I'm like, why does he do that? He has the ability to get in there and make the score himself. And he said to me very plainly, I think he wants to see his teammates succeed. That's gospel humility. That's self-demotion and subtraction. To be less in order for someone else to be more. Jesus wanted nothing more than his Father's glory and our good, so he obeyed through suffering and rejection. What keeps that from being us? What's getting in the way of that for us? Spirit, lead us on the path of the cross by beginning here in the subtraction of myself. If we're going to profess Jesus as the Christ, he must make us less so that he can be more. We must embrace suffering and even rejection by the world's standards as the path of obedience. To make much of God and less of ourselves. Instead of escaping to our various whims, instead of 85% of our thoughts being consumed with how I rank or how I rate, ask God to make you less. So that at the end of that long division problem, the remainder is what? Zero. We're called to subtraction of self, and secondly, we're called to follow him in an addition of a cross. Nothing would have surprised Jesus' followers more than hearing Jesus say, take up your cross. 
This is not like our expression nowadays. Well, this is my cross to bear. You know, it's like that mild level suffering that we have to go through in our life. No, that's not what they heard. This isn't long checkout lines at Costco. Taking up a cross would have a wildly political punch to it. The cross was the instrument of intimidation used by the Romans in the Roman Empire. And it served two purposes. Number one, humiliate the victim, the criminal. And also, intimidate anyone who sets eyes on it. Humiliate and intimidate. In fact, for the Roman Christians who were the primary audience of Mark's gospel, they know this reality of crosses. Nero is crucifying Christians left and right. And it wouldn't go far back into their memory in the Roman Empire to remember a leader named Crassus who used the cross to intimidate and humiliate. Crassus was one of the wealthiest leaders in Roman history. He was one who was responsible for getting Julius Caesar in power. He was one of Forbes' number five wealthiest people in the world. And there was a slave named Spartacus who gathered up a group, a ragtag group of slaves to try to free themselves and fight Crassus. But Crassus overcame them, overcame Spartacus and his army. And then... To make it clear who was in charge, Crassus ordered that 6,000 slaves be crucified along the main highway in Rome called the Appian Way. 120 miles, 6,000 crosses, hanging for the world to see that Rome was in charge. And if you were to get in their way, you would be one of the victims on display. Can you imagine that for a second? Just Interstate 43 from Green Bay to Milwaukee is that distance. Can you imagine every hundred feet about would be another cross displaying a lifeless or struggling body? Can you imagine if the government said that to you? You cross us and this is what happens to you. The Jewish people... Oh, they wanted Rome to pay for that kind of brutality to people. And then Jesus says, take up your cross. What is he thinking? Overthrow of the Roman world by taking up a Roman cross? The cross that lined the road was going to be an instrument of redemption or an overthrow? The Lord in his kingdom conquering overthrow of sin would use an instrument that was used to humiliate and intimidate and convert it, change it into an image of God's love and God's gift of life. In worldly estimations, friends, to conquer enemies, you have to kill and not be killed. But in godly wisdom, a wisdom that 1 Corinthians 2 says, none of the rulers of the age understood the Christ's conquering of enemy would come through a willful crucifixion. Victory would come through a dying love. Instead of hoisting enemies upon God's kingdom cross, the leader himself would take the enemy's place. Substitution. 
And for the Christ to be seen in his followers, they too would be willing to line the way toward death in order that other people might see this is the gospel. This is love on display. To promote the love of God through the death, the sacrifice of self. Friends, every marital fight that occurred this week, every tantrum that was thrown by a child or adult this week, every church's split and disintegration can be attributed to one thing, probably, the promotion of self. But every marital bond, every childlike change, every ounce of growth that is in the church comes through the sacrifice of self. Putting to death the lyric, I did it my way. Where are you being called to die to yourself? What cross are you fighting to allow God to put you on? Are you taking justice in your own hands and crucifying the wrong person? Jesus warns, if you're walking the my way road by living according to self-promotion, your soul, the very breath of life that God has given you, is in danger. He says, in essence, if you've sought to have everything in the whole world, you're going to lose your soul. Instead, if you gave up everything in the world, even your very life, guess what happens to your soul? It's preserved forever. We're like long division. There's no remainder. There's nothing left of you. But in eternity's eyes, you are preserved forever. One author writes, The one for whom the way of Jesus is most important than his own existence will secure his eternal being. But the one whose existence is more important than Jesus will lose both Jesus and his existence. This is the way of Christ. Is it the road we're on, all saints? Lastly, There's a subtraction of self. There's an addition of a cross so that there can be a multiplying of a kingdom. Christ's conquering of our true enemy, sin and death, through death, through the cross, leads to multiplication of life. Following Jesus through suffering to the death, you would think would shrink a kingdom pretty quickly. After all, all his followers would end up dead. (laughs) But look at the church. All his followers did end up dead. Killed. But look at the church. Death will not have the final power or the final word. New life would. You see this promise given in verse 1 of chapter 9. As Jesus says, there are some standing here who won't even have to die in order to witness the kingdom coming in power. How will it come? Through a resurrection from the dead. Death does not have the final word. It is just a comma, as John Donne, the poet, says. Death, comma, thou shalt die. The kingdom multiplies as each of the disciples, having witnessed an executed man come back to life, were now willing to follow in his footsteps, taking up their own crosses. Each of the 12 disciples would be willing to follow to the point of death because they saw with their own eyes what follows death, resurrection, eternal life. And they wanted that for themselves and for the world. The church would multiply through their deaths. Their souls would not be destroyed in physical death, but preserved. 
And the next passage, which Ben's going to preach on next week, the transfiguration, where Jesus would be seen in all his resurrected glory, is the foreshadowing of what's to come. This is our gospel standing. This is where our eyes need to be. Standing securely on his resurrection promise that death is not the end. And less fixed on our worldly measures of success or failure. We're going to be okay. Suffering's not the end. Rejection is not the end. Death is not the end. Resurrection is what's found at what the world believes is the end. I think of the scene in Lord of the Rings where Pippin and Gandalf are sitting in the middle of this battle. And they're sitting by this big gate entryway into the city. And it's being, you just hear it, boom, boom. The enemies are coming in. They're closing in fast. And Pippin looks at Gandalf, terrified, in the midst of what seems like a hopeless, deadly battle against this enemy. And he looks at him and he said, Gandalf, I didn't think it would end this way. And the wise Christ figure Gandalf responds, End? Who said anything about the end? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. The gray rain curtain of death and the world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. Pippin's like, what? What? What, Gandalf? What do you see? White shores. And beyond a far green country under a beautiful sunrise. And Pippin looks at him as he's still hearing the door being knocked down. Well, that isn't so bad. No. No, it isn't. Any one of us who profess Jesus is the Christ have a claim put on our life, a claim of discipleship. A faith to follow him in the way of suffering with the world's rejection lining the path that leads to death. But the journey never ends there. We know that the kingdom grows as more of us die. The subtraction of self, the addition of a cross, leads to the greatest sum of a kingdom, not of this world. Will you follow Christ to the death? Because he's the only way to live. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, which leads to our life. But it comes at a cost, Father. It comes in the subtraction of Jesus, of getting low, of being rejected and suffering so that he could obey and follow your will perfectly. Help us, Father, to follow your will. Not perfectly, we will not follow perfectly, but... Help us to see where it is that self is getting in the way of us following you. And Father, as he promises a cross, the addition of a cross, help each one of us, whether it's in our suffering or in our relationships or in our service to someone who's hard to serve or even in our physical death, Father, help us to see that we are willing to take up that suffering and that cross so that others can see your love on display. And Father, remind us that death is not the end. That in our dying to ourselves daily, you might multiply a kingdom 
so that more might come to understand what true godly love looks like through us and through our sacrifice. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.